our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Joseph Campbell once said, We must be willing to get rid of the life we've planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. The old skin has to be shed before the new one can come. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And you might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 983rd broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And that's right. We figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's happening? Well, Rick, our question uh, for the podcast is, what does it mean to be born again? And our theme text is found in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so unless one is born again. This phrase carries great meaning no matter what Christian denomination you come from. The meaning of the phrase certainly changes depending on your particular belief system, but the power of the phrase remains intact. To be born again in all cases implies one of the most significant spiritual changes that any person can ever experience. So when does being born again happen, and what does it really mean? Does this spiritual change happen when one is baptized as an infant, or when one commits their life to God through Jesus, or when one is baptized in as an adult, or when one dies? Is this spiritual change a prepaid, one-way ticket to heaven, or an opportunity for power and control in your present life, or is it a sober and humbling opportunity to sacrifice all that you have and all that you are? So, again, Jonathan, the question, what does it mean to be born again? So many questions, Rick. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, and, and Jonathan, before we, before we uh, proceed, I just have to, to say that uh, last week, for the first time in over 19 years, I, got, I was too sick to do the podcast. You look bad, brother. <laughs> and I, I apologize for, for not being up for it. I thought I could do it until I got to sitting down and starting to look at the material, and I literally was just too weak to even hold my head up. So, folks, so I am so glad to be back. I can't tell you how much I missed this opportunity last week. So, Jonathan, I am fired up for tonight. All right. Excellent. So, Jonathan, just one other side note before we really get started. It's always our objective with each subject that we choose. With In this case, what does it mean to be born again? Because this is a difficult subject because there's so many perspectives on it. So, our objective with each subject is to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. 
We search out the context, the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day and to give you something to really think about. So as we approach this subject of what does it mean to be born again, we want to go deep and strong into this from a really powerful biblical perspective. Having said all that, where we're going to start is with a somewhat typical approach to born again. Because Jonathan, uh, just, just by way of introduction, a lot of us look at the idea of being born again and we interpret it as a feeling. You, you know, we, we interpret it as something that you ascribe to and you feel different and you it's act... Like an emotion? Yes, yeah, very, very, very much so. So this first soundbite is going to reflect that feeling. And it's a very upbeat and powerful and positive uh, feeling that's expressed in this particular verse of a, sound by, uh, of, of a song called Born Again by Janet uh, Paschal. All right, well, there you have it, Jonathan. There's that, and it's a catchy tune, and it's powerful, and it's fast, and it's upbeat, and you, and you get the feeling of the song. I mean, it, it, really, it really can draw you in. It does, Rick. Uh, but I, I have a little pet peeve. You know, in, in her song, she kind of ended it. It kind of faded out a little bit, talking about the Holy Ghost. Yes. And because of, you know, translations and we really love to look at accurate translations we know that king james often puts uh, the holy spirit as holy ghost and we know that there are several errors uh in that king james version and whenever i hear the word ghost i think of um like spiritism or demon possession or fallen angels when you know evil when you hear the word ghost based on you know tv and shows and things like that but we know, and we've done many subjects on what the Holy Spirit is. It should be spirit, God's power and influence in our life. And Rick, in, in our day, the age of enlightenment, we're very thankful that uh, truths can be understood and darkness uh, and errors can be repelled um, because of the knowledge of the Greek and the Hebrew words and being able to really dig in and find out truly what those words mean. Yeah, and you're right. And, and we want to be careful with that. And today's podcast really is going to get deeply into understanding what words mean and how they're used and how sometimes they are misapplied. And you're, and you're right about that. So I, I'll take your pet peeve and, uh, about the word ghost <laughs> and I'll second it because it, it really, it just gives an entirely wrong impression entirely yes. wrong impression we don't we don't want to go there so let's let's discuss let's focus on finding the meaning of born again so to be able to find that meaning we have to do something that's one of my very favorite things in all of life to do 
It's got to be context. That's Rick. right. We have to understand the context of those famous words that Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, unless you, someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What did he mean by that? Well, if we back up into the context, it's going to be so much easier to figure that out. So he spoke those words at the beginning of John chapter 3. But the context for those words actually goes back to John chapter 2, we're going to drop in and verses 23 to 25 of John chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. All right, so this verse starts out in a really interesting way. It says that many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. So you've got this, this sense that he's drawing big numbers after him. They're, they're watching his miracles. They're listening to his words. They're watching how he acts and how he interacts with others. And he is drawing flocks of individuals to him. And you think, wow. That's really good. That's really powerful. That's what you want. But then, Jonathan, the next phrase in that verse is really interesting. It says that, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. So he had a concern. Yeah. Like, so if these individuals are believing in him, it's saying he is not essentially not believing in them. And you say, well, why wouldn't you? They're, they're believing. That's what the scripture says. And, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You know, there's that, 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 that sense of, wow, belief is such an important thing. And they were believing. And yet Jesus held them essentially at arm's length. And you think, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he encourage them further? Okay. Because it says at the end of, of verse 25, it says he himself knew what was in man. He could read their hearts, and he saw their belief, and like you said, he saw a concern with their belief. Let's look at John chapter 8, verses 30 to 33, as an example of belief and a concern with belief. As he spoke these things, many came to him, believing in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And again, that's a very popular verse, often quoted verse. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And everybody wants freedom. So you say, okay, let me know the truth so the truth can make me free. And it says these individuals believed in him. And so Jesus responds to their belief by saying, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. So he's saying, Good. Belief is good. But he's putting something further out there because he understands the, 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 the wickedness of the heart of men. He understands sinfulness. He understands uh, a, a deeper lack of understanding in, in the average human heart. So, Rick, he's looking for the test of time. Yes, he really is looking for the test of time. And he's looking for the test of belief being put on trial. What do you do with that belief? Great, it's great to believe, but what now do you do? That's why he says, you are truly my disciples if you continue in my word. So 
that's what he says to them after they are believing in him. So now what's their response? Let's go to John 8, now verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, Rick, wait a minute. Did they remember history? Did they forget they were slaves in Egypt for how many years? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> uh, but, but think about what they're, they're, they were anticipating Messiah. Right. Overthrowing the Roman government and leading them to victory. Right. Um, so they, they had, you know, concepts in their, their mind of what they thought Messiah was going to be. And um, unfortunately, they were kind of slaves to the law, weren't they? Yeah. So, so they're saying, well, look, we've never been enslaved by anyone. And, and they're probably just looking at their, their moment of their life saying, well, yeah, we're free right here. Well, and really they weren't. You know, they were under the Roman thumb, absolutely positively. Yes, yes. But you see the doubt. You see the doubt. Jesus told them something about continuing to follow him even further. And they're saying, what do you mean? Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're saying you can give us more than we've already got? How is that even possible? So even though there is belief, it needs to, like you said, withstand the test of time and withstand the test of its, of its depth. Because belief can be on a whole lot of different levels. So there's a lot of doubt. They need, see, what they were doing is they were trying to fit their belief in Jesus into their own preconceived ideas. He's a convenient guy to believe in as long as he fits in with everything else that we're talking about and we're living and we're doing and we're professing. See, Jonathan, that's not a good idea. No, it's not. It's a bad thing when we try to take our belief in Jesus and fit it into what we've already conceived as truth or the way it should be. So that brings us to our first born-again lesson. What is it? Well, Rick, faith is the foundation upon which discipleship is built. To be a disciple means to follow. To follow means to leave things behind, especially our preconceived ideas. Okay, so back in John chapter 2, you had the sense that there was belief, but Jesus wasn't looking at that belief as solid. He was looking at it as it's something that needed to be challenged, and that was verified in the John 8 scripture we just, we just read. So the first lesson is that to be a disciple means you leave other things behind because you're following something different, something higher. With that in mind, with the previous John chapter 2 events happening, now let's go to John chapter 3, and let's just do the first line of the first verse, or, or, or verse 1 rather, John 3 verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, who is Nicodemus? What did he do? Let, let's get a little bit of commentary on that, Jonathan. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, one of the Sanhedrin, or a great council of the nation. He is twice mentioned after this as being friendly to our Savior. In the first instance, as advocating his cause and defending him against the unjust suspicions of the Jews. And in the second instance, as one who came to aid in embalming his body. So Nicodemus comes up several times in Scripture, and that was a, professor, uh, a commentator, um, Alfred Barnes, I think, on that, on that one. So giving us a sense. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. He was very high up in, Jew, in the Jewish order, in Jewish religiousness of the time. And he, and he, in that position, had some authority. And he shows himself to be really, truly attached to Jesus. So John 3, verse 1 says, okay, this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, 
What happens? Verses 2 and 3. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So a couple of things here. First of all, Jonathan, Nicodemus comes to him by night. And you say, well, why would he do that? Maybe that wasn't a lot of faith. No, maybe that was a lot of faith. Maybe he's coming to him because he needs to. He needs to to, 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 to talk with Jesus because he's looking for something and he you know Jesus has it. So he's showing great faith coming by night and it would have been a lot of pressure to go during the day with all of those others who would, Jesus didn't have the faith back in. So here Jesus, her Nicodemus rather, displays really great faith. Similar to those of the previous chapter. Remember they displayed faith in John chapter 2, but Jesus in John chapter 2 said, well, he didn't have faith in them. Here... Jesus responds with truth. Jesus responds with what Nicodemus says, and he now is enhancing what Nicodemus said. Why? Well, Jesus saw Nicodemus' faith as one that was looking for nourishment. He saw it was real, true, genuine faith of the heart and of the mind, and so he looked to feed it. And I think that is such an important part of us understanding what it means to be born again, and why Nicodemus is chosen to be the one spoken to. So, you've heard of Dare to be a Daniel. Well, how about Dare to be a Nicodemus? I'll take that. So, our faith must be the kind of faith that leads to following. Is this how we are born again? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. So the process is not yet at the born-again point. Similar to last week's conversation, or two weeks ago's conversation with Todd Alexander on how God touches our hearts, the road to born again is a process. Jesus here is beginning to unfold how to understand what this whole idea of being born again is, and as we will shortly see, what we typically think it means might be very different than what Jesus taught. And folks, we're asking you to take a look at these things with an open mind to Scripture because things sometimes are not the way we, we, we thought they were originally. And that's where we're going to begin to go uh, in this particular segment, Jonathan. So let's. So Jesus, um, in, in, uh, verse, uh, in verse 3, well, actually, let, let's read, um, well, no, in verse 3, he said, Verily I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's go now to uh, John chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. We're going to come back to that in a moment, but let's get a little bit further in the context first. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, 
ye must be born again. Now, there's a lot of material in these verses, Jonathan, that we're going to come back around to. We're going to comment on Nicodemus's verse 4 response in a little bit. We're going to go to some of what Jesus said first. But before that, Jonathan, there's been a lot of happenings in the social media world, and we just want to take one quick moment to, to uh, just inform you what's happening. That's right, Rick. Be sure to look us, on, look us up on Facebook, like us on Facebook, and follow us on both Instagram and Twitter. We have lots of exciting things happening, including, Rick, Trivia Tuesday, featuring a not very well-known fact about the Bible. Again, you've got to be on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get, get those three things, Trivia Tuesday. We also are going to have Thankful Thursdays coming around starting this week, and that has a different post each week about something that we are thankful for, and we want to hear from you about what you are most thankful for. And, Rick, to top it off, we have Flashback Friday highlights a previous Christian Questions program from the archives that you might have missed. Social media, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lots of wonderful, wonderful things going on in those areas. Okay, so Jonathan, let's get back to being born again. Let's back, get back to what does it mean. Let's go to a soundbite. This is a very interesting soundbite. I want you to listen closely to the symptoms, if you will, of those who have experienced born-again kind of experiences. This is from a face, uh, YouTube video called The Born-Again Experience with Valerie Tarico. And this is about the experience. Listen closely to what happens here. For many Christians, being born again is unlike anything they have ever known. A sense of personal conviction, yielding, or release, followed by indescribable peace and joy. This is the stuff of spiritual transformation. Once experienced, it is unforgettable, and many people can recall small details years later. Listen to these descriptions. I prayed harder, and then I felt like everything I was saying was being sucked into a vacuum. When I stood up, I felt like thin air. I had to brace myself. I felt this energy. It was a kind of ecstasy. From a woman named Kathy. Something began to flow in me, a kind of energy. Then came the strange sensation that water was not only running down my cheeks, but surging through my body as well, cleansing and cooling as it went. Colson. It was a beautiful feeling of well-being, warmth, and loving. I went home and all night long these warm feelings kept coming up in my body. Jean. I felt something real warm overwhelming me. It was in just a moment, yet it was like an eternity. A joy. Such a joy hit me with such a tremendous force that I jumped and ran. Helen. So those are several experiences that have that similar euphoria attached to the, to the experience. That memorable, euphoric, emotional, centered, peaceful, contented, wonderful experience that, that many people have. So the question is, is that, what it means to be born again. That's what we want to examine here as we go through this. And, and we, folks, we want to encourage you to stick with us for the, for the, the follow-up sound bites because they're very, very revealing on, on what, what all of this is and how all of this works. So, so Jonathan, let's start with the phrase and the question, you know, born again. Uh, or or the, that's our phrase in question. What does it mean to be born again? First, the word born. What does the word born mean? Now, that sounds like almost like a dumb question to ask, but it's important to ask it because we're talking about an ancient 
language. And there's a little bit of a surprise here, I think. Well, Rick, it means to procreate. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. There's no surprise there, is there? No. <laughs> okay, so we have to go a little bit further. Now, here's the interesting thing about the idea of being born again, and we're focusing on the word born right now. We're going to go through some examples using the word born in Scripture, the exact same word that Jesus used in John chapter 3, but it carries the sense of not being born, but the sense of being begotten, of being conceived, if you will. Uh, And this would be the masculine use of the word. So the interesting thing is, in the Greek language, there was a masculine use and a feminine use of the same word that had a different, very significantly different shade of meaning. So let's look at the masculine use of the word, a few examples. Matthew 1-2 to get started. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Okay, begat. When Abraham begets, begets Isaac, he doesn't give birth to him. But he conceives him so that he can later be born. True? True. Okay. Let's take a look at another example uh, of the word, the same word for born as in the phrase born again used. And this is actually about uh, John the Baptist before he was born, Matthew 1.20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost or Spirit. Spirit. Okay, and and this is about Jesus, not John the Baptist. Apologize for that. Wrong, uh, Wrong thought there. But what the angel says to Joseph is that which is conceived in her, that which is begotten in her, same word as born, is of God's power and influence. So there's a there it's certainly not talking about when Jesus was born it's talking about when he was begotten to the human race. You see the difference? There's a huge difference here. And these last few examples have been about the idea of the word for born actually having to do with the conceiving part, not the birthing part. One more scripture on the conceiving part, Philemon chapter 1 verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, which I have begotten in my bonds. All right. The Apostle Paul talking about Onesimus uh, to Philemon, and he's saying, whom I have begotten in my bonds, whom I have been able by God's grace to plant the seed of spirituality within. So, Jonathan, there's a theme here with the idea of this word used in a sense of begotten. And the theme is, from a male perspective, it always focuses us on the conception part of the equation. Does that that make sense? And not the birth itself. Right, but it's the same word. Isn't that interesting? Well, it is, and it's it can be confusing to us now because we very clearly separate it, but in the ancient Greek language, they didn't. They didn't use a different word, but you had the masculine form of the word, that focused on the begotten part. And we're going to look at the feminine form of the word in, in just a moment here. So we looked at just a few of several examples uh, of, of the, the word being begotten. So now we're going to take a look at some examples of the sense of the word of giving birth. This would be the feminine use of the word. 
And why don't we read Matthew 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Okay, all right, so you've got Jesus born in Bethlehem. Now, remember, just in the previous chapter of Matthew, same word, vision to Joseph, Jesus was begotten. So it's a totally different thing, same general idea, same process. But this is in the feminine form, right, Rick? Right, because if you're born, you're born of a woman. woman. That's the way, it, look, that's the way it's always worked. That's the way it always <laughs> will work. That's what the plumbing dictates, okay? That's just the way it is. So, so you've got a real strong sense of the same word used for two different phases of the same overall objective. Let's again look at, this is the one about John the Baptist, sorry about that. Luke chapter 1, verse 13, another example. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. So when it says she shall bear thee a son, now she was already pregnant, Okay, and yep. so, um, well, actually, no, at this point, she wasn't already pregnant because this is when, when Zacharias was told about it. And boy, I got to get my story straight, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, she shall bear thee a son. She shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name John. And remember what happened. Zacharias is struck, unable to speak. That's right. And finally, when John is born, they're saying, well, what should we name him? And the first words he can blurt out are, his name John. is John. <laughs> so, but again, it's, it's very emphatically focusing us on the birth, but it's the exact same word. Abraham begat Isaac, but Abraham didn't give birth to Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob, but Jacob didn't give, uh, Isaac didn't give birth to Jacob. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Mary. She literally gave birth. Uh, Elizabeth gave birth. She bore John the Baptist. Begettle and birth. Two different things, same exact words. So how do you tell the difference? I mean, how do you tell which is which? It's pretty simple. When it's talking from a, a, a male perspective, it's always talking about the begettle part. When it's talking about the female perspective, it's always talking about the birth. And you know what? That makes perfect sense. It does. <laughs> it's simple. And, and But what we need to be able to do is take that principle and say, okay, well, what does that mean for us now in our conversation now? Well, we're going to need to remember that principle and apply it as we go forward now. Okay? So it's meaning, the, the meaning of the word relates to both parts of the creation of a new life. One relating to the begetting by the father, the father and the other relating to the, beget, the birth by the mother. Spirit begetting is now and subject to our faithfulness. Now notice I didn't say spirit birth. No, you didn't. I said spirit begetting. So now we are drawing, beginning to draw a conclusion. Spirit begetting in the sense of the word from the masculine perspective that we talked about, is now and subject to our faithfulness. Let's take a look at a scripture that can help us put that in order. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy 
hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so that's a powerful scripture, Jonathan, because, you know, you had mentioned earlier uh, about there's lots of errors, especially in the King James Version. Yes, yes. And now that's a verse from the King James Version that uses the exact same word for born and says begotten. They got it right. They did. Okay. (laughs) So it's talking about, uh, again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again has conceived us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what we're suggesting is when it comes to the Spirit and when it comes to humanity, the two go together in the sense of begettle in this world, in this life. That's the suggestion here. Okay. Now, that can sound very, very different than what a lot of Christians uh, say in, in terms of their own uh, d- denominations and so forth. So we're going to need to go further on this and, and you know, establish it further, but this is the beginning of establishing a point of view here. So that brings us to our second born-again lesson, and what is that? Discipleship is the pathway that brings us to the opportunity for spirit life. The spirit life begins with the begetting process now, that awaits an actual spirit birth later. Okay, so we're differentiating between spirit begetting and spirit birth, and we're suggesting that spirit begetting is what happens now, and spirit birth is what happens later. So we take those two born-again lessons together. The first one was faith is the foundation upon which discipleship is built. To be a disciple means you need to follow. Following means you need to keep put some other things, leave things behind. And Jesus doesn't want us to take our preconceived ideas with us when we follow him. That's right. So you've got to be willing, we've got to be willing to put things behind. Discipleship then is this pathway that brings us to the opportunity. It doesn't guarantee us spirit life. Discipleship brings us the opportunity for spirit life. And that spirit life begins with a begetting process that needs to have a birth later. So it reminds Rick, the, that reminds me of the parable of the seed that's sown along the, the roadway. Yeah, good. It's Some a good, of the seed dies out quickly and never really uh, takes, you know, to takes it to heart. Right. And so there's that test of time that you brought out at the very beginning that Jesus is going to test to see if people are truly sincere before the begetting process. Right, right. And so there is a test first. So spirit birth is not what we're talking about, nor is it what we think Jesus was talking about when he was speaking to Nicodemus, and we're going to have to get more, more deeply into that. So what we are suggesting at this point is that spirit life develops. For many Christians, Oops. being born again is unlike any... That is not the one that we wanted. Uh, sorry about that. So, um, again, we're suggesting that spirit life develops in very clear-cut stages. Okay, I get that. But how do we know for sure that born here really means begotten? What does this change? 
Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Well, Jonathan, we can know for sure by further looking at scriptures that verify the masculine and feminine uses of the word, as well as looking even more deeply into our phrase, born again, in question. We've talked about the word for born, but what about the word for again? This is where our whole discussion gets complicated, but it really does get fascinating. So, Jonathan, let's go back and, and repeat John chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, because this is the general context that we're going to be working with. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. All right, so we're going to start to take these verses apart a little bit and, and try to, to put them in perspective as to what they think they really, really mean. And, and Rick, I have um, some initials for you. CQ, and then I'm going to add rewind. Okay. For a podcast like this, because it's so deep and it's so technical, you really need to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition at christianquestions.com so that you can put it in perspective and see all the reasoning and all the scriptures and all the definitions so it all comes together. Right, all the bonus material, and it's a free service. You can sign up through your app, your Christian Questions app on your smartphone or at christianquestions.com. Give it a try. It's a free service. If for some reason you don't like it, you can you can opt out with the click of a button and nobody's going to bother you. So CQ Rewind, the full edition. Try it now, especially with, you're right, especially with something like this. All right, so let's get now start to go deeper into the subject. But remember the soundbite that we played where all those people were, sh were sharing their euphoric experiences. Well, what's the aftermath of those euphoric experiences according to Valerie Tarico? Well, let's listen to what happens to a lot of these people after the fact. In the aftermath of such a moment, an alcoholic may stop drinking or a criminal fugitive may hand himself into the authorities. A housewife may sail through her tasks for weeks flooded by a sense of God's love flowing through her to her children. A normally introverted programmer may begin inviting his co-workers to church. This experience, more than any other, creates a sense of certainty about Christian belief and so makes belief impervious to rational argumentation. A believer knows what he or she has experienced. Even converts who don't feel radically transformed after praying the sinner's prayer may feel overwhelmed by God's presence during subsequent prayer or worship. So, Jonathan, there in, in a lot of cases, there's a, a very positive aftermath to all of this. So the question is, is that what it means to be born again? Is that what we're talking about? I'm going to hold off on the answer, even though I don't want to. I'm going to hold off on the answer to that question, because it's a very important question, and I think we need to develop a little bit more of the scriptural perspective, and then we're going to come back to that and, and get a, a clear answer. So, born again. Remember, born can mean begotten or born, depending on whether it's a masculine or, or feminine application. 
And in the scriptures that we're talking about in John chapter 3, it is the masculine sense. So we believe it means begotten. So what does the word again mean? Well, Rick, it means from above. Uh, By analogy, from the first, by implication, anew. Okay, so, and again, that doesn't sound like again in, in a lot of ways, does it? No, it really doesn't. <laughs> from above, well, how do you mean, how do you get again out of from above? And one of the ways you can get again from the word, Jonathan, from above, it's almost like you take it from the top. Okay? Ah, okay. All right? So there is a sense of the word that, that can mean again, certainly. Take it from the top, from above. Take it from where you start and then work your way down again. But... That's not what the word literally means. So the word literally means, like you said, from above. Nicodemus's question on the surface seems to support the thought of again and not from above. But Jesus' words are pointing in a very different direction. Okay? So this is where, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little bit deeper into this in terms of trying to understand the word. And here, here's the suggestion, folks. Here's the suggestion. What we're saying is the word again means from above. That's the way Jesus meant it to be spoken in these verses. That's what we're saying. So we're saying then that Jesus' phrase was not a man needs to be born again. We're saying a man needs to be begotten from above. And when you think about it, it's a totally different meaning. Totally really different. is. All right, so how do we get there? Well, a few other uses of the word, uh, of this word from above, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Okay, what does that have to do with from above? <laughs> well, Rick, the word very first is that word from above. Okay, so again, there's an application where the word actually means, take it from the top, from the very first. Having had a perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, from above, from the first, from the top line, if you will, and then you work your way down. So it gives a sense in, 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 in this application almost of a, of a chronological unfolding. You got to go back to the beginning kind of a thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so and that you, you look at that and say, well, isn't that sort of against what you said? Yeah, it is, because the word does have different shades of meaning, and you can't deny it. You have to look at it. You have to examine it. You have to say, okay, but how does it fit where we're talking? How does it fit in, in, in line with what Jesus is teaching? So that particular phrase from the very first gives you the sense of, you know, from the top. John 3.31. Now, Jonathan, the interesting thing about this This is the same chapter of John that Jesus says, you must be born again, okay? This is just a little bit later, but this is also um, Jesus speaking. What does he say? He that cometh from above is above all. He that is on the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. So go ahead. Which, Which now you said above like three times. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's the first above. He that cometh from above is above all. So it's that very first, and that really makes sense. So he that cometh from above cometh from heaven because Jesus told us several times that's where he came from. Mm-hmm. And then when it says is above all, the, it's a, that is an entirely different word, that word for above. It means it, it's like uh, by number, is first. 
okay, is first, is above all, is, is higher than the rest. But he that cometh from above, from heaven, is first. He that's of the earth is earthly. He speaks of the earth. He that comes from heaven is, again, first in terms of God's plan. That's what Jesus is saying. But the key is, in the same chapter of John, the same word is used, and you can't throw again in there. And these are Jesus' words. He that cometh from again is above. It makes no sense. <laughs> right. So it's just, to me, it helps to understand Jesus himself using the same word twice, several verses away. And they look, you know, it's not like in the same exact context, but still he's using the same word in, in the same chapter. James 1.17 is another great example of this word meaning from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So that's pretty straightforward. It is. Every perfect gift is from above. above. Yeah. So let, let, let's pause here now. So what are we saying? We're suggesting that these verses in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, read very differently than their typical interpretation. Okay, a couple of, couple of bullet points on this. What's the first one, uh, Jonathan? Well, Rick, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that faith is a foundation on which to build discipleship. And remember, he's teaching Nicodemus that right on the heels of having lots of people have faith in him, but Jesus not having faith in their faith because he knew the flaws of their faith. So Nicodemus comes along and Jesus reacts to him differently because he sees the heart of Nicodemus and he recognizes, now wait, this faith is different than all of those other folks because the faith of this man, Nicodemus, is really sincere. He wants to follow. He wants to know. He wants to listen. So I will open things up to him. So he's telling Nicodemus the foundation on which you build discipleship is faith. But faith is not the end of it. It's the beginning. What's the next point? True discipleship, seeing, perceiving the kingdom in verse 3, is not a natural event. It requires a begetting, a conception to a new life through God's Spirit. Okay, so true discipleship, and this is really what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about here, is something that doesn't happen naturally or easily. It requires this begetting, this conception, God's power working in your everyday life. Now, remember that soundbite that we listened to, the two soundbites, about the people with the euphoric experiences. And the question is, is that what the beginning of God's Spirit is all about? Or is it something different than that? So, we're going we're gonna to take those, that, that question apart uh, in, the, in the next segment, Jonathan. We've got just a few minutes left here. But in, let's go back to John 3, 3-7. to We keep going over these same verses again and again, because there's so much here. But we're going to use a different translation. Now, in, in all honesty, this is a translation I don't normally use. Uh, it's called, it's the ACV, uh, a conservative version. And they get a lot of things right, and some things not so good. <laughs> but on this particular verse, they, it was the easiest reading translation that I could find, and I looked through many, many, many translations for this, that seemed to capture what we think the... Um, the essence of Jesus' teaching is. So John chapter 3, verse 3 from ACV. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to thee, 
If any man is not begotten from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. He says it right there in the translation very clearly. So it's not something that we're like, we're like you know, making up or saying, hey, you know, this fits the, what, what we want it to fit. This is something that has been looked at and understood by many different individuals in many different places. Okay? If any man is not begotten from above, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus in verse 4 challenges this new strange and spiritual thought, but he still wants to learn. Nicodemus in verse 4 of John 3. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be begotten, being old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's belly and be born? Okay, so he challenges that. He says, Okay, how can that happen? How can a man be begotten if he's old? Can He doesn't, I mean, when you see the suggestion, you think, Whoa, that's not so good. <laughs> he's thinking nat naturally. Right. Of course. Right. It doesn't make any sense to him. So before we get to that, um, Trish has a comment or a question? It's a question. Okay, Trish, go ahead. All right, here's my question. All right, so I'm begotten from above by God himself. Are you saying there could be a miscarriage? <laughs> yes, actually, that's a good question. I mean, I, that's just throws me, so if you could explain that. Okay, all right, that's a good question. And... If it's not birth, and if it's just begettal, could there be a miscarriage? And John, that's a, that is an important question. I'm not going to answer it right at this moment, but we're going to come back to it in the next couple of segments because we want to address that. Thanks, Trish, for that. That's, uh, that's important. Um, okay, so Nicodemus is questioning this, entering being... Um, how, do you, how, how, how can this happen? Being part of the kingdom in verse 5, which we're going to read in a moment, requires the actions of life the symbol of water baptism, being built on faith and provoked by God's Spirit. It, there's a lot of ingredients that go into this idea of being begotten again. And Rick, based on that point, I love the symbol of baptism, or which the scriptures really talk about as immersion, full immersion, where you're lowered backwards into the water, kind of symbolically buried, and then you're raised up into newness of life a perfect symbol of what takes place in our hearts and minds in this begettal. Right, right. And and that, as, as we unfold this, that's what we think baptism really is. It's that symbol of the giving up of your will to become a true disciple. And when you become a true disciple, you have to leave things behind. And we can't fit Jesus into our preconceived ideas. We have to take our preconceived human being and fit it into Jesus' footsteps. That's it's 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 a whole different kind of a thing. So you're right. That is a wonderful picture of this. And 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 let, let's read verse five. Then again, we're still in the uh, a conservative version, a translation of the Bible. Jesus answered, "Truly, truly, I say to thee, if any man is not begotten from water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God." So if you are not begotten, again, it's the. It's God doing the begetting here. So that's why we have to we see that as, as the, the, the masculine perspective. It's very, very clear. God is doing the begetting here. And Jesus says, if you're not begotten from water, from baptism like you described, and spirit, God's power, God's influence working in your everyday life, if you don't have those things that 
giving up of your own will in baptism, like you described as that, that symbol of true discipleship and true giving up of who I am to become new in life, you can't enter the kingdom. So this is, this is, these are the prerequisites for entering. This doesn't guarantee you entrance, but this positions you to be able to get to the entrance. And it's so important to understand that what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus is not about a guarantee. It's about an opportunity. That's what he's teaching him. He's teaching him how to grasp the opportunity of true spirituality. So Jesus... He's showing him a new and a different life, isn't he? Right. Very new, very different, complete... And Nicodemus is having a hard time with this, okay? Yeah. So Jesus now tells Nicodemus that this spiritual begetting is this new and different life in verses 6 and 7 from John chapter 3. And again, same version. That which is begotten from the flesh is flesh. And that which is begotten from the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said to thee, ye must be begotten from above. So when you put the begotten from above, it really does begin to make sense. That this is the entrance, this is the beginning, this is how you position yourself for the kingdom of God. So what's our third born-again lesson? Well, Rick, to be begotten from above is to actually have a new spiritual life conceived within you. This life, when proven faithful, will be born to its heavenly home. Okay, so now that, that starts to conjure up Trisha's question from before. Well, okay, you've got to carry it you know, to full term, so to speak. What does all of that mean? The idea here is understanding begotten from above instead of born again. And this is one of those times when scriptural meaning is different than previously thought. Different? This is radical. How are we saying that Christian phrase born again is commonly misapplied? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. And Jonathan, yes, we are saying that as we critically examine the words and intentions of Jesus, his lesson points to a spirit life built upon the foundation of faith and constructed with the actions of discipleship. All of this merely conceives a new spiritual life that has not yet been born, but has begun to develop. And there's an enormous difference between saying being born again and being begotten from above. So, Jonathan, what we're really saying here is that uh, when, 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 when Christians talk to one another and they say, well, have you been born again? We're, we're suggesting that those are the wrong words to be using. That's the wrong idea to be portraying. We're suggesting, no, 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 none of us have been born again. Okay? We, but we can have been begotten from above in hopes of living faithfully so that we can later on be born to the spirit realm. That's the difference. And for some, that's pretty radical, but hey, that's what we think the scriptures teach here. So having said all of that, Jonathan, let's go back again 
to the uh, Born Again experience with Valerie Tarico. And remember, in the first soundbite from her, she, she gave many examples of people with this euphoric uh, experience, this warm, peaceful, content, powerful, driving experience. And then in the second soundbite, she said, so many people really did change their lives dramatically right after that. And, 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 the, and the, the details of the experience they remembered clearly in their minds. And the question again is, is this what the born-again experience really is? Now let's listen to this soundbite uh, in, in terms of this exuberance that she's describing. Evangelical and Pentecostal forms of Christianity that are gaining ground around the world particularly emphasize emotional peaks, such as faith healing or speaking in tongues. Worshippers may get caught up in exuberant singing, shouting, dancing, and tears of joy. What most Christians don't know is that these experiences are not unique to Christianity. In fact, the words I just quoted come from two born-again Christians, a Muni, and an encounter group participant. Their quotes were gathered by a pair of researchers, Flo Conway and Jim Siegelman, for their book, Snapping, which is about sudden personality change. So, Jonathan, what she's saying is that the, the quotes that we heard early on in the broadcast um, were not all Christian. Some of them were, but some of them were not. But they all had that identical, flowing, change-worthy, euphoric, emotional, peace-gathering uh, experience for every single person. Now, look, we're not denying the experience. The experience happens. There's no question about that. The question is, is that what the born-again experience is? And our answer is, no, it's not. And Rick, we have to be careful um, because remember in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and chapter 14, 1 to 25, it talks about how speaking in tongues, tongues will cease. Uh, the purpose for tongues is not important now at this stage of the gospel because People can learn different languages and understand the good news. And that was the purpose of speaking in tongues is teaching the good news to those with a foreign dialect. And a fabulous study uh, th that you might uh, check out is how many believers in the New Testament were healed. And what you'll find is not many, if any. Yeah, yeah, right. They were, most, they were almost all non-believers that, that were healed uh, instead of believers. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I can't recall any believers healed. Now, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but that's different. Healing and resurrection yes. or raising from the dead are two different things. So, so you're right. The idea of the emotion and the euphoria, while it's attractive, and while you love to have the experience, is not what we're saying that the born-again, quote-unquote, experience is, the begotten-from-above experience is. So, Let's go to the next verse in John chapter 3. I mean, you know, look, this is confusing enough already, but this next verse really tops it in terms of confusion. Um, so who or what is being talked about in John chapter 3, verse 8? And again, we're going to go back to the King James Version for this. The wind bloweth where it listeneth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And you say, wait a minute, it's talking about the wind and hearing the sound of the wind and it goes wherever it wants and everyone is born of the Spirit is like that? Is it saying that everybody who's born of the Spirit is like the wind? They can come and go where they want? What? You know, you say, well, what, what is the meaning 
of that verse. First thing to, to, to recognize here, it's important to understand that wind and spirit in that, in that verse are exactly the same word. And it's strange to translate them totally different if it's precisely the same word. You're right. Okay? You're right. So, let's go to a different translation that gives us a little bit better sense. And again, this is not a translation that we use a lot, but it seemed to it seemed to capture some of the meaning pretty well. This is the concordant version, John chapter 3 verse 8. The blast. And that word is the word for spirit, the Greek word pneuma is blowing where it wills. And the sound of it you are hearing, but you are not aware whence it is coming and where it is going. So that doesn't even talk about everyone that is born of the Spirit. It gives you a sense, uh, well, it, it's going to get to that part in, in a moment. Uh, later on it says, thus is everyone who is begotten by water and, and Spirit. But So let's focus on what Jesus is saying here at the beginning part of the verse. The blast, Spirit, is blowing where it wills, and you hear the sound, but you're not aware where it's coming from and where it's going. You think, okay, translation please. What is he talking about if it's not literal physical wind? And I think, Jonathan, Jesus is saying that the Spirit breathes its influence where it will. You can discern the effects of the Spirit, but you don't know where or who it will affect next. None of us is privy to that knowledge. It's God's influence. He's privy to sending his power and his influence and his will wherever he wants to. We can discern its effects, but we just don't know where it's going to go next. And remember, Jesus himself was speaking to Nicodemus according to God's spirit, to God's influence in Jesus' life right then. Nicodemus had no idea that the power of God's influence was going to confront him with this truth right here and right now. I mean, Nicodemus sought Jesus out at nighttime to say, Master, I want to talk to you because I know you come from God and I want to know more about you. And Jesus lays this whole thing about being begotten from above on him. And he's like, well, what? What are you talking about? That's not possible. A man can't enter his mother again. And Jesus is saying, no, you're missing the point. It's higher. It's different. It's a begettal to a whole new life. So then we get to, to that part of the verse, thus is everyone who is begotten by water and by spirit. So, when we look at that, Jonathan, what, 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 can, we, what can we get from, from that part of the verse? Well, uh, Ricks, um, those with, who have taken action as disciples are begotten by the Spirit now. Right. And you don't know who will be affected next or what you will be directed to do. So, that's one of the key things about the way the Spirit works in our lives. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't project for us what's going to happen next. It doesn't give us a predetermined path that we can put our stamp of approval on. The workings of the Spirit in our lives, Jonathan, sometimes bring us in very, very different directions very, very unexpectedly. And remember, there were several times in the Apostle Paul's ministry where he said that, you know, I, I was going to go there, but the Spirit wouldn't let me. You know, so he had an idea in his mind. This is what I think I should do. But the Spirit said, no, 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 you can't do that. Now, was this, was, was, is the Spirit a person talking to him? No, it's the power of God influencing him saying, that's not, that's not God's will. I can see that's not God's will. God's will is to go a different direction. 
And we recall that uh, that Paul was was uh, was it Agabus who prophesied that remember he bound his hands and his feet together and he said the man whose belt this is is going to be taken to prison and it was Saul's uh, the apostle Paul's belt and and Paul's reaction to that is look I got to go where where God tells me to go it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me that's the way the Spirit works and I think that is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Thus is everyone who is begotten by water and spirit. So if you're begotten by water and spirit, if you have put your life into a discipleship mode where you are literally following in the footsteps of Jesus and God has blessed you with his influence, then your life is in God's hands, not your own. Your GPS doesn't belong to you. It's a God's positioning system, not mine. Okay, that's what I think is happening here. What's our fourth born-again lesson? Well, Rick, begettled by God's power and influence, conceives a life that is driven by that which is above and counteracts our fallen nature. Begettled does not equal birth. Okay, now that it comes back to Trisha's question from earlier. Okay, if you're begotten of the Spirit, we're saying that that's not a guarantee. And it's not. There are several scriptures. We're not going to get into them today, but Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, for instance, is one is a, is a couple of scriptures that describe someone who has been begotten by the Spirit, who has tasted of the good things of God, who has actually had God's influence actually working in their everyday life, and they back away from it, and they turn away, and they walk away. And yes, that's a miscarriage of the Spirit of God. And that is a sad, sad event. But it can happen. The scriptures tell us it can happen. So it is not a guarantee. If we are there, we need to become focused on how to get there, how to stay on the narrow way of discipleship to Jesus Christ. Don't forget to uh, like us on Facebook and follow us both on Instagram and Twitter. We have lots of exciting things happening, including Rick Trivia Tuesday. Uh, featuring a, a new, not very well-known fact about the Bible. We also have Thankful Thursday, as a has a different post each week about something that we are thankful for. We want you to, to hear from you about what you might be thankful for as well on Thankful Thursdays. And we have Flashback Friday highlights, uh, a previous Christian Questions program from the archives that you might have missed. Okay, so lots going on on uh, social media, folks. We want you to avail yourself of those opportunities. A lot of gr- great things happening there. So again, Jonathan, born again. Begettle does not equal birth. So let's examine what the Spirit looks like in our begotten lives here and now. And Jonathan, it's not about emotion. It's not about euphoria. It's not about a feeling. It is about being clearly, scripturally directed to do the will of God at the expense of my own will. That's what spirit begettle is about. 2 Corinthians five seventeen and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God reconciled us through Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, and then the, uh, the begettle of his spirit. That's the completion of the reconciliation in this life. We have to be faithful to that to be able to have that heavenly reward. So this new life is conceived through God's own power. His power helps us with all things. 
That's shown Rick, to a, with, without without that power, we'd be hopeless against Satan's devices of of trying to knock us off course to to give up and, and uh, turn our own way. We'd be hopeless, helpless, and hapless. We just wouldn't know what or how to manage. And Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven is a great verse that explains that humanness and how God's Spirit in this begettal phase helps us. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because it intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God's power intercedes for the saints according to God's will. It does not intercede because I want something. It does not intercede because I think I need something. It intercedes because God's will must be done in my life. Why? Because I went down in baptism like you were describing earlier, to become a disciple of Christ and came up in that newness of life to walk in his footsteps no matter what. I need that kind of help because I am a weak, weak human being. So this newly conceived life must be sought out in our decisions because we're still fallen humanity. Jonathan, I can't stress enough, just because someone may think they have God's spirit doesn't mean that they know what they want or they know what they should have. But we've got to be very careful as we move forward in our lives. And this James 4, 13 to 15 really describes that. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So there's a big difference between deciding this is what I'm going to do and approaching it by saying, well, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills implies I'm willing to listen to an alternative plan other than mine. I'm willing to be overruled in a moment, in an instant, because God's Spirit can lead us in a different way. So now, back to Jesus. Those are a few examples of how God's Spirit, in this begotten sense, guides us in this life. Back to Jesus teaching Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. And, and Jonathan, I'm going to stop you after verse 11. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do not know, and testify that we have seen, and yet, receive not our witness. So you receive not our witness. In other words, you're not ready to hear this. He says, are you a master of Israel and you don't know this? So he's saying, look, you've got to think higher. You've got to think more in a more godly way than you've ever thought before. Verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus is simply describing to him What's happening now? That's why he says, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how can I tell you of heavenly things? How can I tell you what's on the other side of all of this? If you're not able to understand and accept what should be happening to you and will happen to you, and I really do believe that Nicodemus was one of the called out ones that was probably there at Pentecost and was probably given God's spirit. Um, so he's saying, this is what happens 
in this world, in this time here and now, there's something even bigger that I can't even begin to describe to you. So, so what's our, we're out of time for this segment. What's our fifth born again lesson? Well, Rick, the ghetto by God's spirit gives us all necessary spiritual sustenance to prepare for our actual spiritual birth. And see, that's the key. If you have the necessary spiritual sustenance, you can be developed in that embryo, uh, new creation of God to become something very special in, in spirit birth. So understanding born again this way makes a whole lot of sense. It really does. But remember, most Christians believe that being born again is our spirit birth. How can we be sure that it's just the start? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. Jonathan, being sure that it's just the start really is the core question in today's discussion. We're convinced that true spirit birth is only attainable after the completion of a sacrificial life. And we'll frame the next part of our conversation in the biblical concept of regeneration. Now, many of our Christian friends see regeneration happening at the moment of accepting Jesus or at baptism, for some as infants, for others as adults. So what does it mean to have regeneration in your lives? Because that certainly sounds like such a a very, very big thing. So we're going to need to define that and understand it, and that's what we're going to focus on in this last uh, segment um, here today. So before we do that, though, Jonathan, let's go back to Valerie Tarico one more time. Now, remember in the last soundbite, she revealed that all those euphoric experiences were not Christians. There was one uh, follower of Sun Young Moon. There was somebody who had been part of an encounter group. Same kind of experience. So let's just get a sense of how she describes the commonality of that very, very euphoric type experience. How can a Mooney, an encounter group participant, and Christians sound so much the same? Because the born-again experience doesn't require a specific set of beliefs. It requires a specific social-emotional process, and the dogmas or explanations are secondary. Conversion is a process that begins with social influence. As sociologists like to say, our sense of reality is socially constructed. We will come back to this later. Suffice for now to say that missionary work typically begins with simple offers of friendship or conversations about shared interests. As prospective converts are drawn in, a group may envelop them in warmth, goodwill, thoughtful conversations, and playful activities, always with gentle pressure toward the group reality. So the key phrase there in in that soundbite for me, Jonathan, was it's not about belief. It's about a social construction, if you will. And to me, that speaks volumes. Because here's the thing. The scriptures don't tell us that the born-again, quote-unquote, experience, being begotten from above, is an emotional thing. They do tell us it's a transformative thing. They do tell us it's about the direction our life is going to take. But it's not about how you feel, Jonathan. It's about what you are convicted to actually do with your life. 
It doesn't have to have emotion involved. And see, that can be a that can be like like a a crazy thought for for many. But the scriptures don't support that other side. They just don't. They they just they just don't. I mean, let, let let's look at this. Uh, Romans six four I think is a good example of that emotionless but direction filled approach to being begotten from above. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, there's no great euphoria here. It's talking about death. It's talking about being buried with him in death. That's not euphoric. But what we need to do is understand that there is a newness of life. Now, is this newness the actual regeneration no. Okay, okay. So you're telling me no before I even finish the question. There you go. <laughs> so, well, how do we know it's not the actual regeneration? First of all, let's get the definition of what regeneration is in the scriptures. And then that word is actually only used twice in all of scripture. And let's look at how it's used. What's well, Rick, the definition? It means go ahead. Spiritual rebirth and figuratively spiritual renovation. Okay, spiritual rebirth. Figuratively, spiritual renovation. Uh, it can also mean messianic restoration as well. Now, again, it's only used twice in the New Testament. First time is by Jesus. So we pay particular attention to this because this is using this particular word to describe what regeneration is. And I think he's very plain about it. Matthew 19, 27 to 28. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you will have you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he says, You who have followed me, in the regeneration, you'll sit on thrones with me. That's not now, Jonathan. That's in heaven. Yeah. There was no apostle sitting on any throne at any time in this physical no. world. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, they were far away from such a thing. So it is very clearly, when Jesus talks about the regeneration, he is talking about a future time of glory in heaven. And really, that's what we label a spirit birth. Not begettle, but spirit birth. So the regeneration is clearly a future time when all of the faithful are in heaven with Jesus. So if this is the case... What is the newness about from the previous Roman scripture? Remember I was reading that Roman scripture, we might too walk in newness of life? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, isn't that like a regenerated kind of life? And, and yes, in a sense it is. Let's look at Titus though, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, to get a sense of how regeneration fits um, for, for the Christian today. Because we're looking forward to the regeneration, but... What has that got to do with us today? Well, Titus, I think, helps us to understand that. But when the kindness of God our Savior, who has love for mankind, appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Okay, so now... The, the Matthew scripture talked about in the time of regeneration later on. It was very clear. But in Titus it says that according to his mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing or renovation, that word renewing means renovation, by the Holy Spirit, that's what you have now. So you say, well, wait a minute. We have the washing of regeneration now. What does that mean? And, and Jonathan, many of our Christian friends, um, especially those uh, of Catholic persuasion, look at that washing of regeneration as that's how they describe baptizing an infant. They're, they're regenerating them to a new life, a new life with God, you know, right, right in infancy. And, and, and for us, we see that as a, as a tremendous error in understanding, a tremendous error in scriptural understanding. We're not talking about traditions. We're talking about scriptural understanding. The newness that is being spoken of, that was spoken of in the Romans 6 scripture, the newness is the privilege to be called and to be prepared for the hope of a spiritual life based on grace, grace based on faith, and the actions of discipleship. Washed for the end purpose of the regeneration. So in other words, we have to, again, this is a process that we're talking about. This is not a final thing. This is not something you say, okay, it's all bottled up all in one nice little ball and there it is. There's a process that has to be undergone here. Let's just touch on, we didn't read verse 7 for Titus 3. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So... It's talking about we would be made heirs if we are justified by his grace. Now, there's a faithfulness factor in that as well. You have to be faithful to that calling. So when it says the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, it's saying these things are given to us here and now kind of as a, as a, as a down payment of what the potential reward is later. As a matter of fact, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Jonathan, I don't have the verse in, in my head um, where it is, but it talks about the, um, uh, the, the gift of, of God's Spirit being the, the earnest of our inheritance. I think that's the, the, the way it's spoken of in the King James Version. It is the sort of the down payment. It's like the engagement ring. Okay, now when you have an engagement ring, you're not actually married, but by all indications, that's what you're going to be. That's where right. you're heading. That's what's supposed to happen. And that is a guarantee of what can happen, as long as you stay faithful to that, to, that, to that promise. So the washing of regeneration is the preparation for us to be able to be clean for the work of heaven. And the scripture, be thou faithful unto death, right. and thou wilt will receive the crown of life. So it's that work, that dedication, that focus in our lives. So, and now this washing, I mean, th- think about this for a second. A surgeon washes in preparation before operating. If he doesn't wash, he's not prepared to operate. Washing is not operating. But operating shouldn't happen without the washing. Correct. So... When, 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 when the surgeon scrubs and all of the, the, the implements of surgery are sterilized and everything is put exactly in order, the surgery hasn't started yet. But everything has to be prepared first, long before the surgery, and then you walk in and then you put it all together. And I think that's very much what we're trying to, de- to describe as what it means to be begotten from above. This is all preparatory work right here and right now. We are not born again at this point. 
We are begotten from above. We are being washed. We are being prepared so that we can not perform surgery, but that we can be part of the ministry of reconciliation. But Jonathan, everybody who names the name of Jesus doesn't end up being a part of that ministry, do they? No, they don't. You have to put yourself in in a position to be to so that God can trust you with eternity like that. Reminds us of Romans chapter twelve, verse two, in terms of that. And this uses that same word for renewing from the Titus three scripture. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Understand that that transformation is happening after the begettal of God's Spirit. It happens, and look, it can only happen because of the begettal of God's Spirit. We can't, if we're just human beings, we can't be transformed by the renewing of our minds because the renewing is the renovation of our minds. How does our mind get renovated if not from above? The embryo is growing and developing right. over time right? so that it'll be ready for that birth. So our job now is not to be born again. It is to be begotten from above. There's a big difference because that begettal, again, going back to Trisha's question, means that we can mess it up, Jonathan. God won't mess it up. God, if he gives us his spirit, he's not going to mess it up. But we can misuse or abuse or ignore what God gives us in terms of the ability to cope with the difficulties of our life. This is a work in progress. Being born again is not the point that Jesus was making to Nicodemus. Being begotten from above is the point that now you have to become uh, willing to let God's Spirit guide you here or there without even worrying about where am I going to go because I'm just going to follow the leadings of His Spirit. So this work can only be completed when we've completed our transformation. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50, and then we're going to jump to 53. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. This is such a great description of the work in progress. What we are is not what we will be. That's what this is saying. You're in this development stage, and this new creature, you know, uh, when, when, when someone is begotten of, 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 of God, he is a new creature— uh, old things are passed away, all things have become new. And these things are from God. That's what the scripture said in, in our previous segment. So here it's saying, look, it's not flesh and blood that goes to heaven. We have to leave that behind. We have to be born into a spirit realm. But we are begotten with the capacity to be born into the spirit realm now. And if you're not begotten from above, Jonathan, you have no capacity to be born into the spirit realm. That's just, right. Just can't happen. So that is what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. It is a very basic, very powerful lesson, but very, very different than, than what so many uh, uh, of, of our, our Christian friends have, have uh, often believed in, and, and taught. So, so we're now children of God, running to be chosen sons of God, thoroughly transformed and crystallized in character 
to live with Jesus. That's what our lives really are all about at this moment. 1 John chapter 3, our final scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, you notice it doesn't say everyone who has this guarantee fixed on him purifies no. himself. It's a hope. And it says you have to purify yourself if you have this hope. And if you don't purify yourself as a result of this hope, then you're not walking down the right pathway. So begotten from above is a beginning of a process. We have to do our work. We have to do put our effort, our best efforts in to leave ourselves behind as disciples of Christ. So, so Jonathan, what is our final born-again lesson? Well, Rick, begettal by God's Spirit is God's merciful and loving way of making us ready for the extraordinary mantle of responsibility of heavenly birth and fellowship with Jesus. So what this is all about is God is loving, God is merciful, and but he's giving us something extraordinary and he's not going to give it to us for nothing he's not going to say oh i like you so here here's my spirit everything's going to be fine he's going to say i want you i want to draw you to me to do a specific work in christ and this is again what we talked about two weeks ago with with todd alexander the, the drawing and and how we have to change and transform along that way but see he gives us this opportunity for this incredible work but the incredible work has to be done by those who are trustworthy and you don't become trustworthy unless God calls you, you answer the call, and then he begets you with his spirit. He gives you that beginning stage for you to work with, begotten from above. Not born again, begotten from above, so that we can work our way toward being faithful even unto death. Folks, we hope you enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed talking to you about a really tough subject uh, Please go to Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, to, to try to fill in the gaps because there's so many scriptures we talked about. Remember, born again, it's a great concept, but the words need to be understood properly, begotten from above. Till next week, think about it. Folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app and search Christian Questions in your app store, and we'll be back next week.